Today's guest believes that dialogue is key to relationship. He's a graduate of Georgetown University and the author of a book titled The Rector Girls. She published this book with the hope of memorializing her mother and honoring her legacy. Welcome to the show, Grace. How are you doing? Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. It's great to meet you. Thank you so, so much for, for joining me today on this episode of Mirror Talk. I'm so happy and delighted to be speaking with you finally after over two months, I guess. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm so happy that we finally, you know, found the time to sit down virtually to you know yes to talk about you talk about your book and talk about everything that you've experienced um in the past i really you know admire your strength and your courage you know to create a great life for yourself even after the the loss of your single mother before your 21st birthday which happened just recently over just less than two years ago I'm, i'm so sorry for your loss um can you, can you share this story with me and how your journey has been so far leading you to this, you know, point in your life? Yeah. Um, well, thanks again for having me. I'm really always grateful to have a space to share the story of my mom um, with people. But essentially, this book, The Rector Girls, came up just because when I lost her in February 2020, um, I kind of had this sense of urgency or fear of remembering the things that she taught me or uh, favorite memories I had with her. Um, I'm not sure if you've had any losses, but like I, I'd never had a loss that significant. And so my biggest fear was, oh, my gosh, imagine in 20 years I forget, you know, who my mom was like fully or what she did for me or those moments that made me laugh or all those different singular moments. And so in, I'd say March or April, once I had kind of had more time to process, um, I started writing letters to my mom in a journal, um, just telling her about my day and being like, Hey mama, this is what's been going on. This is how I'm feeling. A lot of it was kind of angry, um, just at her for leaving me. But, um, then I would, would write down specific stories. Like I remember the time that you brought me bought me nail polish when a boy liked me back or like I remember (laughs) the time that you took me to school and I got nervous but you you know took me to go get a piece of pie in the morning like these little moments that made my mom who she was to me and as I continued to write these little stories and letters to her um, I was approached by a professor at Georgetown that said I'm teaching a class for students on how to write a book Mm. and I was thinking to myself, huh, strange, <laughs> maybe I should take those stories and turn them into a book. Yeah. Um, and at first I was, you know, excited and I was like, oh, I should do that. And then part of me was also a little scared because I was wondering what, who would want to read these stories or mm. why would I want these intimate moments to be published? Um, but I ultimately decided to write the book because I wanted people in my family and my friends, like or just strangers to learn what an incredible woman my mom was because throughout my entire life, people have always been like, you have such a crazy life. Like you, it's so unique. Like my mom being a single mother, having a child via sperm donor at 43 years old is Mm -hmm. not very typical. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think the whole book is just about how she, when things didn't go her way, she just, you know, accepted that and then said, okay, let's see how I can make this happen. Let's see I don't have a man in my life, but I want a kid. So let me go get a sperm donor and do it myself. <laughs> yes, yes. A, a go-getter, like achieving yeah. her goals, yes, and dreams. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm sure your mother will be very grateful and happy that, you know, you wrote something to, to remember, uh, you know, something that you keep her here and immortalized, I, I assume. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. 
Yes, she probably I mean, doesn't want everyone to know those moments, but too late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, someone someone's going to pick up the book, which is available on Amazon and other platforms, and someone's going to read it and say, "Yes, this is this one. This is someone that's experienced this kind of thing or done this kind of thing." Maybe yeah, this is a, a sign for me to do it. Also, this is a motivation for me, you know, to to achieve my goals this way or that way yeah. according to what is in the book without giving away anything that's in the book or any lessons that's in the book I was surprised because like I said I originally thought this book would just be for family and friends to read about intimate stories with my mom and I but um, uh, something that I wanted to do with the book was organize it by lessons so mm. every chapter is a different lesson um, and I think it's pretty accessible for anyone who goes and buys the book and says Hmm, let me see if I agree or disagree with this, because this is not supposed to be a this is how you live your life. But it's more of this is how my mom taught me to live my life. And here's how it's worked out. Um, But like something that unfortunately we can't do during COVID right now is um, like chapter four is travel whenever possible. As, Mm. as simple as that sounds, I think a lot of the time in life, you know, work happens or family happens and you're like, Oh, I'll go on that trip eventually. But my mom was always reinforcing, no, do it now because you never know, uh, what, what's going to happen in life. And I literally was in Bosnia in March, 2020 and had to fly (laughs) back, uh, because of, uh, the COVID border, uh, closures, but like, that was the last country I've been to internationally. And so if she hadn't really motivated me to travel in every single moment that I can, then Mm -hmm. I'd be, you know, extra, extra missing travel during the past year and a half. Yeah. Yes, that's true. That's a very important lesson. And we're going to talk about, you know, more lessons later on during this conversation. But there's one thing that stood out with me when I was reading the review of your book. And that's your, your notes, the notes you wrote at the beginning. I, I wish to read just a little bit of it before I ask you the next question I would love to know about. You know, in your, in your book you wrote, um, I, I drove my mom's car home from the hospital on the night she died. My eyes stayed focused on the road. The street lights around me blurred as I sped by. I grabbed the steering wheel tightly as tears streamed down my eyes. Suddenly, I realized I had two important things to do to get a tattoo and to write a book about my mom's life. Wow, that's like so deep. Um, can you tell me more about this director girls and tell me more about your mother's life? What's, you know, if is it is it possible for you to share about her life, how she, she led her life and you know what led to her last days here on earth and who, who was she to you and how was she like? That moment was very overwhelming. I mean, like I said, she, she's my single mom and I'm an only child. I have no aunts or uncles or cousins or grandparents. So when she died, she was like, I was the last family member. Um, and so that on its own carried a lot of pressure. Um, but I mean, a joke we'd always do is, or people would say is you're like the Gilmore girls. So that's kind (laughs) of what inspired the title too. Um, but I think she was, like my my best friend, my first best friend, my first enemy, my first everything, because she and I spent so much time together. And, you know, in a, in a typical with air quotes, typical um, family, you know, if you're if you get in a fight with your mom, you might go to your dad or if you get in a fight with your mom, you might talk to your sibling about it. But in my family, like if we got in a fight, we would have to deal with it head on because we were the only two people in the house. And so yes. I think. I think our relationship was just so 
um, unique. And I actually think it was more of a partnership sometimes than a mother daughter relationship because she worked so much and had a lot going on. She also had a lot of medical stuff. So like I was expected to do a lot to support her. Mm. Um, and so while she was my mom, she was also a dear friend and I took care of her. She took care of me. Um, but a, a specific story too, that kind of showed what she meant to me. Like I mentioned, I, my mom and I travel a lot. Mm. And in January, 2020, I was in a class at Georgetown. It was my junior year. And we had an assignment where we had to talk with a partner about what home meant to us. And I was trying to figure out how I would define home. And I was talking to my partner and I said, you know, I think, I think home is wherever my mom is because she and I travel all the time and we go all over the world and Los Angeles is where we're from, but it wasn't really the place that made it home. It was her that made it home. If we spent thanks one time we spent Thanksgiving in India, but like I felt at home because I was with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a month later she died. And that was really, really tough for me to have identified that that home is wherever she is and then to lose her. Mm-hmm. And so I've definitely been uh, grappling with what home means to me since she passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, just because she was, she was the person that I went to for everything. She told me what to do. She'd criticize me. She'd cheer for me. She'd do everything. So losing someone that, that central to who I am has definitely been tough. And I felt like through writing this story, it was kind of my love letter to her and my letter of gratitude for everything that she taught me throughout her life. Through writing these stories about uh, or the lessons that she taught you also helped you to, you know, um, live through the, the grief of losing her, right? Because mm-hmm. how, how, how was it like, you know, you know, having that so intimate bond with her and then all of a sudden losing her? How was that like for you at the initial stage? How were you able to, you know, overcome that depression, I assume, or that darkness that, you know, fell suddenly upon your life? How are you able to, you know, um, come out of that? <laughs> I'm a very strong person, I'd say, or a very uh, positive person. But something that I've learned through grief is that strength is not always not crying or trying to move on. Sometimes strength or courage is is letting yourself feel that sadness or darkness that that often is overwhelming at the beginning of grief. Um, at least for me, because I acknowledge that grief is different for everyone. Um, but there, there's a moment in the book. Um, uh, this was the day she died, actually, because I was I was in Georgetown. I was in D.C. when I got the phone call that she'd had a heart attack. And this was after she had had a successful kidney transplant surgery. So we were expecting this kidney transplant surgery to give her 10 more years of life without dialysis, which is, you know, the process that, that people are on that have polycystic kidney disease or problem with problems with their kidneys. And so I'd been there for the surgery, but like three weeks after the surgery, she had this heart attack and I got that phone call and was just kind of numb and in shock and just really, I guess that day that I got that call, I was just like, I can't even imagine what a life would look like without her. Like they didn't tell me she was dead or anything. They just told me that she was um, on a, on life support essentially after the heart attack. And Mm -hmm. I I was still kind of numb that day, but then the next morning um, was, I was in my home in Los Angeles at that point. 
And they told us that we had to go to the hospital to talk to some doctors, um, which is not usually a good sign. And so that morning, I think, was like the peak of my grief um, in that I just remember like taking the shower and just like scream crying because I felt I had so many people around me that I didn't want to freak out. I had so many people that were taking care of me, but I also felt like I had to take care of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And while I'm an only child, I have kind of adopted siblings. They're not actually adopted, but they're um, extended family to me. And so I can imagine that other people that are in families that go through grief, it's a little messy because it's not like you can just do whatever you want because you want to take care of other people, Mm. but they're trying to take care of you. And so at the end of the day, no one can really fully embrace the sadness. So that moment for me in the shower, just like sobbing was that moment for me to fully just acknowledge how I was feeling. Um, and I think that that was a moment that was just so good for me to just let that out because I think holding in the grief and I've seen my family, some of my family members do that, just hold it in because it seems safer that way to not actually honor how you're feeling, Mm -hmm. but sometimes letting it fully out is what's going to be most nourishing for you. Um, and I guess like my, my 20, my 2021 resolution, um, was to tell people how I actually felt when they asked me how I was doing, you know, it's, it's normal for us to say, how are you doing? They're like, great. How are you? Mm -hmm. But sometimes I'm not great. And sometimes I'm having a bad day. So like now when my friends are like, how, how have you been? And I'm like, haven't been great, but Mm -hmm. I'm doing my best. So I think grief has taught me the importance of honesty Mm -hmm. and, being self-aware and also just noting when your body needs the time to just to be sad and to, to grieve and to, to, to heal in its own way um, before you're just pushing yourself to, to keep going with your life. Cause sometimes that can actually be more hurtful if you're not taking those breaks to, to cry or to reflect or just to talk to people about the person that you lost. Yeah. That, that's so insightful. And once, once more, I'm so, I'm sorry for the loss of your mom. Like, it's so painful. And I'm so, um, you know, proud of you that you're able to, like, pull through that period of, or that phase of your life. And even though I'm sure you're still, like, you know, pulling through, but mm-hmm. you are getting stronger by the day, I assume. You are stronger than the interest, but you're getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And mm-hmm. even with this book, even with this book, you are making great success and also impacting other people's life through what you've experienced now, through what your mom has taught you also. That's that's very wonderful. That's awesome. Thank and you. one thing I learned from you right now is like you know, allowing yourself to feel those feelings, allowing yourself to ex- expressing yourself, and do not suppress any of your emotions. That's one thing I, I got from you right now, and that's a key lesson for me also. Like or anyone who is listening out there, just feel your feelings, express your emotions, and yeah, let it go and let it out. It's easier said than done, though. If someone says, "Hey," don't suppress your feelings. You might be like, yeah, I want to cry right now, but I also have all this crap I have to do for work. Or like, <laughs> I have to, you know, finish this assignment or I have to do this thing. And it's like, you might want to mm. not suppress your emotions, but it's really hard to make time for yourself That's and, true. and to prioritize yourself um, in comparison with things like work or other family members. So it's easier said than done, but it's important to acknowledge it. Yeah. And Elia, you're talking about, you know, extended family, like you have like people around you and all that. So can you tell me more about the importance of having, you know, 
friendships or community or a network of support, especially in a time of griefing or, you know, in a time of a loss or difficult situation? Yeah. Um, actually, the first chapter of the book is choose your community mm. um, because I think that's the most important part of my mom's life and it mm. has become the most important part of mine. Um, I remember she said once um, that like people were like, oh my God, like, can't believe you're a single mom. Like that must be so hard raising her alone. Like you're all alone. You're alone. You're alone. You're alone. Right. Yes. And she was like, I'm not raising this child alone. Like I would never raise this child if I was alone. And they were like, what? And she was like, I have the best friends. I have the best community. I have these people that are going to show up at my house and take my daughter around the block while I'm taking a nap, yeah. you know? And so she always had these people that were taking care of her and looking out for her. But yeah. the reason she had those, those friends and community members that would really do anything for her was because she was so good at taking care of other people. So it was kind of an exchange of, of care and um, just loving one another mm -hmm. and, I think it's important to note the kind of extended family I was talking about before, just because I think it's it's really a beautiful um, idea of the importance of creating your family yeah. versus just taking the family that you got. Um, I know a lot of people that <laughs> don't love their, you know, given family, mm -hmm. um, but that's why chosen and uh, like family that's created is so important. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, in the book, I talk about my four siblings another air quote. Um, my mom worked at a elementary school in Lenox um, in Los Angeles mm. and created a, an adopt a student program or a mentorship program where staff members would adopt a student, not mm. legally, but like just kind of take them under their wing, mentor them yeah. throughout middle school, maybe high school, however long the relationship went. And my mom going above and beyond <laughs> um, mentored four students at wow. the age of like seventh, like when was seventh grade, like 12 years old, 13 years old. Hmm. And um, those individuals are now who I call my brothers and sisters now. Um, they're 40 years old now. Um, but my mom just, I don't really like in the book I have, I talked to, I interviewed my siblings and said, how did mom choose you? Or like, why did you? go, you know, be part of my mom, Pam's, um, mm. mentorship group. And a lot of them had a lot of home issues or just like behavioral issues, or they just didn't get the love that my mom thought that she wanted to share with them or something. Yeah. Um, and so she created a, a family with them and took them to Disneyland and like oh, went wow. out to dinner with them for all yeah. their birthdays. And, um, my sister's birthday's coming up soon. And so even though I'm not there, they're going to go out to breakfast or to, to dinner, even though my mom's not here, but she, she created a family of choice, not by blood. Um, and I really consider them my siblings, which is really beautiful. And just to show that like, when we were going to the doctors for a kidney related issue, um, my sister Alejandra came with me mm -hmm. and, uh, the doctor was like, all right, who are these people? She pointed to me and said, that's my sister. There's yeah. sister. I wish <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's my daughter by blood. And then she pointed uh, to Alejandra and said, that's my daughter by love. Mm -hmm. Like just the daughter that I chose to yes. love and have in my life. So my mom did work so hard to make all the people in her life feel loved. And in exchange, they uh, loved her right back and did their best to take care of her. So we even had a group chat at the end called Pam's Tribe 
um, Mm -hmm. of people that would offer to bring meals after her surgery and take care of her. So um, I I really admired that about her and I'm trying to create my own community as I grow older. So that's a mother with a big heart. Mm -hmm. Big heart. So can can you teach me, how can we, you know, wisely choose our community, our friends or network of supports like your mother did? I can't do that wisely. Yeah. Again, easier said than done. <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can surround yourself with as many people as you want. But yeah. um, I found, and I'm, I'm, I don't know about you, but I found that in the pandemic, I yeah. actually talked to less people and I only talked to the people that make me feel loved and wonderful and uh, supported and that friends that would take me for exactly as I was. Mm-hmm. Um And so I would say that I think the way that my mom approached it was she made the person that she was talking to feel like the only person in the world. Mm -hmm. So have you ever had a conversation with someone where you're telling them something important? They're just kind of looking around or like they respond and they don't seem like they understood anything you said. Yes. Yes. That's happened, right? It's happened to everyone. But what my mom did is whatever you were talking about, she would just lock eyes with you. She would just open her heart, her mind, her ears, her everything, and just listen. Mm-hmm. And rather than try to problem solve, she would um, she would just ask follow-up questions. And how does that make you feel? Mm-hmm. Okay, what, what would make you happy right now? Where do you feel happy? How about we go to the beach? <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. she just would fully listen to you in a yeah. way that you felt very seen and heard and you didn't have to, you didn't feel judged. You didn't feel, um, you, yeah, you just felt accepted by her. And so that's a, that's a way that I think you can bring in people and get people to be your friends, but like Mm -hmm. people that care about you deeply. Um, and I think like leading by, by lesson or modeling Mm -hmm. by doing that for other people, you might hope that they might do that for you as well. Um, but I've definitely done that with my college friends by, um, just making their their life and what's going on in their minds and whatever like a priority for me and listening full fully and not trying to fix them or not trying to create any solutions but just like being there for them all the time mm-hmm. and my way of showing love is through gifts so <laughs> finding yeah. out what your way of loving people and just showing up sending handwritten cards like mm-hmm. um and just I think to doing things in your community consistently. So my mom and I volunteered a lot at different organizations in Los Angeles, but we volunteered so much that we knew everyone's names. It wasn't like a once a month thing where you're just like, hi people, I'm here to serve you. Okay. Bye. (laughs) It was like, I'm here because I love you. And I'm Mm -hmm. here because I enjoy spending time with you. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not like serving you. We're helping each other. It's kind of, she just, she really prioritized relationships and said like, and didn't expect anything in return. So it's very complicated. I don't really know, like, you know, step one, but um, I think just authentically being a good friend to other people and showing them that you care. And hopefully if they, if they care about you as well, then they do the same. What I got from that right now is like, you should be the kind of person you want in your life. Like, yeah, the kind of people you want in your life have exhibit that characteristic. Like even people that are open-minded, people that listen, people that give gifts, 
do that's yeah. also I'm yeah. good as people. <laughs> yes. What, what about you? What What would you say? How do How do you create your community? Wow, that's um, yeah, that's a very good question. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, actually, I, I I believe also like you said, like your mom also did, that um, you attract the kind of person that you are to yourself. So I always try my best to 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 be good, to be the kind of mm-hmm. person my, I want my friend to be. That's what I do. And that's why I could, you know, connect with what you are saying. Like, I try to, I try to be at, at a good place where good people are also. So that I have a, a bigger chance of, you know, meeting people that are like myself or people mm-hmm. that are like-minded, you know, or people that, you know, have the same kind of ideas or goals like I do have. Yeah. Yes. And I also think too, like, it's, it's kind of nice to find people that will push you. Like, mm. I like friends that call me on my shit <laughs> um, because if I have friends that are just like, you know, too nice to me, I'm never going to grow. And True. I agree with you that you should have friends that have the same values, but also someone that has high standards for you yes. and will make sure that you're, you know, not slacking and that you're treating everyone kindly. And, you know, if you say something mean, be like, hey, that wasn't cool. Exactly. Do again. So exactly. I think finding people in your life that love you, take care of you, nurture you, but also will call you out. Um, because my mom called me out a lot <laughs> and I miss that. And so I look for people that will hold me to the same standards. Yes, that's very important. Like we have to build a community that pushes each other forward, like, mm-hmm. and, you know, helps each other to build each, um, like your goals, build your life personally, and also, yeah, just achieve your goals together. Yes. Yeah. That for me is very important. And also love also feeling like you're a family, that you're accepted where, wherever you are for who you are. Exactly. And how you are. Yes, yes. Yeah. That's awesome. And your book is, you know, divided into sections. You have the before and the after, and you have different chapters filled with different, you know, lessons that your mom taught you. So, but one thing that I want to ask, I don't want, you know, I don't want to talk about all the lessons because I want everyone that's listening to this episode to pick up a book of Director Girls, read it. It's not only for girls, it's for boys also. You can pick it up, order it on Amazon and read it and read the lessons that Grace Mother taught her. So can you tell me about um, Ask and You Will Receive? That's like the second chapter. Tell me about the lesson your mom taught about Ask and You Will Receive. Because I love to receive and I love to ask. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's funny you choose that one because based on uh, the people that I've talked to that have read the book, Mm. um, they actually really resonated with that chapter. I had a friend the other day that said, I asked and I received because I put it out there. And my mom would always say, the worst thing they can say is no. Mm. You say, hi, can I have a free ticket to this show? Like the worst they say is no. But the best case they say, okay, sure. Or like, just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's in the little things too. Like there's a lot of people that don't want to be an inconvenience on other people. And so they don't ask for what they need. Mm. Um, But what that kind of, where that lesson came from, at least in practice in my life was, I realized that I might have, I started getting frustrated with some of my friends. Like, why don't you know what I need? Like, Mm -hmm. why don't you know how to comfort me? Why don't you know how to talk to me? Like, I just need this. Right. And my mom taught me how to identify my needs. It's a really hard skill to have, but she taught me how to reflect and say, okay, I need to talk to someone on the phone right now, or I just need a nap or Mm -hmm. I just need to eat or like, I need something. Right. But that also applies to, your friends only know how to help you if you tell them what you need. Right. Hmm. So that lesson of ask and you shall receive, I called my friends in the midst of my grief and said, 
I would really like if you could call me twice a week to check on me. Do you think you could do that? Mm. And they were like, yes, of course. Yes, I can. But they didn't know that that's what I needed because how would they know if I didn't tell them, right? True. Um, But it could also manifest in I need help, right? Mm. That's something that a lot of people don't do because they don't want to seem helpless. Mm. But like asking for help is such a powerful thing because you're admitting that you're not the strongest person out there, that you're not perfect and be like, Hey, um, I don't really get this. Can you help me? And then they might help you. Right. True, true, it just, true. But it applies in everything. And I, I find myself asking that a lot. Like, mm. can I ask something right now? Do I need help? Okay. Let me ask mm. if, will they say no? Maybe, but will they say yes? Maybe. Right. Yeah. So in that, in that, um, in that chapter specifically, the example that I gave was, um, I, or maybe it's a different chapter, but, um, I, I was, um, traveling to Bolivia from Chile and I got stuck on the border. Mm. <laughs> um, and so I couldn't get back to Chile. Mm. Um, and I was like, what do I do? Like, I, you know, that's not a situation you ever imagine yourself in. Mm -hmm. And most people might freak out. I'm not going to say I didn't freak out for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I was like, okay, what do I need? Let me like take a breath. And what do I need? I need money to, to, to find a way back. Mm -hmm. I need a car. I need someone to drive me back because Mm -hmm. there's no other way. And I need to do it soon. So I like took a breath and I needed food because I was really hungry and I had been traveling for a lot of hours to try to get there. So I was like, okay, I need money because I'm in Bolivia. Keep in mind, like I only have Chilean dollars. I don't have Bolivian currency. Right. Yes. So I'm like, okay, I see a lady that has like a money something. So I was like, let me exchange money with you. Totally ripped me off. But I was like, I need money. Um, got money Mm -hmm. while I'm breathing. One of the chapters is take a breath, which is huge. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm like breathing, (sighs) freaking out. I got food and then my asking began. I asked every single truck driver. And when I say truck driver, I mean like the big cargo trucks that are carrying things across the border. And I was like, in Spanish, I was like, Hello, sir. Can you please drive me like seven hours south to, yeah. to the city in Chile? They were like, no, sorry. Next guy. Hi, can you take me to Chile? <laughs> no, sorry. Yeah. And I asked for probably four hours, mm. person after person. Mm. And eventually some guy was like, sure. Yeah. I was yeah. like, seriously? And he was like, yeah. <laughs> um, and that's a very extreme example. But this guy took me seven hours south I got there and like offered to pay him. And he's like, no, no, no. Friends don't pay for each other. I was like, seriously? Wow. So uh, again, dramatic asking and receiving is also asking for help in little things. But yeah. because I had that determination to continue to ask for what I needed, even after someone said no, yeah. allowed me to get safely to Chile and off of the border. But um, I think it's 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 good that you pick, pointed that out because that's something that you can do daily, whether it's in work, I don't get what to do. Can you help me? Or, Mm. um, I have like, I'm a teacher and sometimes I'm just so overwhelmed. And while I want to be the perfect teacher that can handle everything on my own, I'm like, I need two adult staff in my classroom today because I can't handle this on my own. If they said, sorry, we don't have anyone available. At least I asked. And if they do, then I'm set and I have the support that I need. Exactly. Because that's one thing I'm also learning currently. And also, you know, I've been learning so far, which is, you know, 
whenever I need something, whenever I cannot do something on my own, I have to put myself out there mm -hmm. to be helped. I have to open myself up and say, yes, please, I need help. Put myself yeah. in a place where people can help me. It could take four hours, for example. It could take <laughs> two days. It could, it could take a year, but at least I'm putting myself in a place and out there to be helped and, you know, yeah. to get that burden off my, my chest, off my back and, you know, move forward probably with, you know, asking for help out there and receiving, you know, the support or the, you know, the attention that I, I need at that moment to solve that problem. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's, that's, that's so awesome. That's a wonderful lesson that your, your mom taught you <laughs> or that you even experienced yourself from, you know, asking right. out there. Yes. Yes. It, she taught me a lot. Yes. I mean, being stranded at the, at the border, you know, could be related to our life stories, for example, or our personal life could be stranded in any, you know, relationship or stranded in any circumstances of life. And if you didn't ask the truck drivers, you wouldn't have met the one that, you know, that took you across the border to your destination. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that means you wouldn't be able to get to the point in your life you want to get to without, you know, asking various people. And you did not give up also. That's one thing I learned too. You did not give up. You kept on asking until that one driver yeah. accepted to pick you up. And that's one thing I, I believe we, we do or I do. Like after asking two, three truck drivers, I just give up and say, okay, <laughs> I'm helpless. As, as normal people should. But <laughs> I yeah, yes. But don't give up. You want to get somewhere, keep on asking for help until you get the help that mm -hmm. you need to get there. Yeah. I mean, another example is I was at my graduation, my college mm -hmm. graduation, and met a friend's parent. And, um, she, the, the, the parent asked me like, Oh, so what do you want to do after graduation? And I said, I want to do international education. I'm, I'm looking for somewhere to teach internationally, right. Mm -hmm. Expressing my need. Yes. And she said, I work at this school in Chile. Mm -hmm. You should come, you should apply and, and work for us. And I was like, what? <laughs> and a week later I got the job. Wow. And had I not said that, mm -hmm. had I said, I don't know, you know, I'll take any job. I don't know what I need, what I want. But like by saying, I want to be a school teacher internationally and then someone else saying, hey, I can help you. And mm. then receiving that yes. can change your life. Like yeah. jobs, personal, like in, in every part of your life, yes. asking for what you need or expressing what you want mm. is just going to help you. And I think that lesson of your friends can only help you as much as you express what you need mm. um, has been a really important lesson for me. Um, even my therapist said, do you go to a restaurant and expect the waiter to know what you want? No, mm -hmm. you have to tell them what you want so that they mm. can help you, um, which I thought was a great uh, comparison. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's a wonderful lesson I'm taking home from this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so um, like from, from your experience, like how would you advise someone out there um, to live their life with fullness and gratitude, especially after suffering a loss? Yeah. Um, living with gratitude was something that my mom did extraordinarily well. Um, her license plate said grateful on it. <laughs> um, I still have the car. So when I'm driving around, it just makes me smile. But um, mm. I think something she did literally in her last year of work um, without knowing she was dying, without knowing, or not dying, but no, without knowing what was in her future, um, she told everyone at work, okay, the theme of this year is gratitude. Mm -hmm. We are going to, um, you know, give affirmations to each other. We're going to thank each other for what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And she just had such a positive 
view of life. And that's not a positive view where you're ignoring the bad things because she could call things out for being shitty. She would be like, (laughs) this sucks. And I have this beautiful daughter. I have this beautiful family. I am grateful for all the people that make me smile. Mm -hmm. And so I think the best piece of advice I could give for how to live a life full of gratitude is to hold the negative and the positive because if you're if you're telling yourself shut up don't be sad because you have all these wonderful things mm. it's important to say you know i might not have gotten that job or this boyfriend just broke up with me um but be like that's not important because i have all this yes. but what you can do is say i recognize that this sucks mm. and not but but and i have this wonderful job that I love, or I have this wonderful family member that I love, or I am happy where I am, or just like focusing on the little things and trying not to, um, obsess too much on the things that you can't control. Mm -hmm. Granted again, easier said than done. And I'm working on that, but I guess just recognizing the things that make you happy. I keep a journal every day, a gratitude journal and I write down three things I'm grateful for every day because it's so easy to get sucked into the crappy things that have happened throughout the day. Mm. But just taking a breath and taking a moment and saying, Hmm, I'm really grateful that my friend called me today to see how I'm doing, or I'm so grateful that I am lucky enough to live in New York city, Mm. or I'm so grateful that I know what I want in life. It could be anything, but just being able to have that moment to to recognize those things um, is super powerful and something that I've done too is if I'm ever just like thinking of someone that I'm grateful for or I write them down in my journal I'll text them or call them and say I'm just really grateful that you that I can call you a friend and it's those little things that I think really make someone's day or makes me happy makes me smile even though there's a lot that's that's bad in the world but I think holding them in tandem as opposed to just rejecting the bad and focusing on the good I think it's like recognizing the bad and also at the same time recognizing what's good we have to be grateful in our situation yeah just yeah yes well you know what um, are you grateful for today Toby oh. I think I don't have to even think twice. I'm grateful that I'm sitting right here, right now with you, <laughs> having this wonderful conversation. That's that's like the peak of my day, actually. <laughs> like sitting down with with Grace and I'm speaking with her about you. a book. Yes, like yeah, I've been looking forward to this conversation like f- from hours ago, and I'm like, right now it's happening. So I'm very grateful for that. And after this, I'm going to be so joyful and happy and jumping up and down that I spoke with you today. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. You know, one thing that's also awesome about you is that you you created um, a dialogue series with the goal of highlighting vulnerability as a strength in the workplace and not as a weakness. So Mm. can can you tell me about this dialogue series? Yeah. uh, So I created, it's called Discern and Digest. Mm. And I co-created it with uh, the head of the Beck Center. It was a, a social impact hub at Georgetown. But we had, you might be familiar with like the idea of brown bags where there's a guest speaker that comes to work and then you just ask them questions and they tell you their answers. Um, But what we realized about that was when you just put the spotlight on the speaker, the students or like the student workers at this center didn't get to talk about their experience at all. It was like assuming that the speaker, the experienced person was the only one who 
deserve to speak kind of, does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Like that you weren't giving the students the space to reflect. Mm -hmm. And so what we decided to do through discern or digest, uh, was to bring in speakers still, but, but have them tell a story for about 10 minutes, an intimate story and have them share this story and then end with a question. Because I think a lot of the time when we think about experts, it's they know everything. But experts have also struggled with a lot. And so I'd have people come in. I had someone from uh, Comonix come in to the Beck Center and share the question, how how do we move beyond diversity and create inclusive spaces? And in that conversation, we were talking about like some organizations are tokenizing the idea of diversity. We have you know, 20% people of color in this office. So check, we're diverse Mm. versus what does inclusivity look like? If you have this quote, diverse workforce, what kind of structures or tools or like programs do you have to make sure that everyone's included and everyone's voice is valued? Um, We also had a really cool conversation about um, like, when, when do you step in? When do you, like, when do you advocate for someone else? And when are you like overbearing basically? Um, so like how to advocate for others without, uh, imposing your privilege or imposing your perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the reason why this, uh, dialogue series was so important to me was because as students, we didn't have that space to say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, because especially Georgetown, people are valued for knowing the answer to everything and being in a space to be like, this is what I'm struggling with. This is the question that I'm bringing to the space. I don't know the answer. I don't know how to fix it, but can we talk about this together? Can we break down the question? So rather than like the goal of the series was not to answer how to create inclusive spaces. It was breaking down what is diversity why do we value diversity? What does inclusivity look like? Mm. Like, why is that important? And so I think the world is often focused on just rushing to the answer or rushing to the fix to a problem, as opposed to just sitting in it and being vulnerable and connecting experiences and saying, this is what I think it looks like, but I I don't know, or Mm. is this causing more harm? Um, And I really wish that adults um, in typical workforces would have that kind of space for people to feel comfortable and brave enough to bring questions that they're struggling with to the table. Cause yeah. sometimes people just hold it in because they're afraid of what other people will say, but by creating an intentional space that's mm. dedicated to being brave and asking hard questions, I think mm. that that can lead to some really great conversations. Yes, that's true. I also, be, I also believe that like not just being diverse, but also including everyone in the community Mm-hmm. In the place of work, actually, also. And w- one thing I've been getting to learn, because I'm originally from, from Nigeria, um, in Africa, and I've been in Germany for quite a while now. And one thing I've been learning is that, you know, even though I'm in a community that is diverse, like there are other people from other people, other communities and other countries or races, I should not, you know, also hide myself or feel too shy to be active or proactive in the community. Yeah, because yeah. F- for, a, for, a, for a community or a workplace to be um, inclusive, the, the individuals also have to be ready to, you know, yeah. contribute to the community or to the workplace also. It's like, what's the point of having you there if, if you don't have the ability to, like, share your voice as much or you don't feel like you can give everything that you have? Yes. And I think a lot of the time, like, people are just valued based on their education or their social standing or something. But, like, mm-hmm. the reason why diversity is important is because people come from different backgrounds, have different experiences, and mm-hmm. thus can look at a problem 
with so many different lenses mm. that you'd be missing if you have like a singular homogeneous workplace. So That's I think, I think to just, I mean, I could go on for this forever, but like in response to like the black lives matter movement in the United States, mm. I think it's really fantastic to see that companies are trying to be more inclusive and more diverse, but it also seems a little bit like they're tokenizing the idea just because that's the movement that's happening as opposed to authentically like, you know, supporting black voices. And uh, I have a lot, like a lot of friends that are going into diversity roles and mm -hmm. company executives are like solve our issues for us. And I'm like, that's not a fair problem mm -hmm. to put on someone's shoulders. So True. It's, it's an important conversation that I think, especially race is something that people are uncomfortable to talk about, but it's something that needs to be talked about. Mm. so that it's not, you know, sidelined. I believe that, yes. But how can we learn to, you know, ask good questions or to reflect or to discern, like, from your um, dialogue series? It's a great question. That's something that I realized from an early age that I'm good at asking questions. <laughs> I mean, mm. it's funny because we're in the podcast and you're asking me all the questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it's because I have a genuine uh, curiosity about me mm. and... Uh, I, I find that, I mean, like even at, this is so, you know, meta, but whatever, like even the question, how are you? That's such a loaded question that like people don't actually respond to, you know, like if I ask you how you're doing again, you'll just be like, good, great, whatever. Even if you had a crappy day. Yeah. Um, but so I guess my mom, again, she brought me all around the world traveling and you know, even we went to Guatemala when I was five, we went to Rwanda to learn about the genocide when I was 13 mm -hmm. and like attended a lot of interviews with people to learn about their stories. And I just, I don't know what about traveling and meeting, meeting people so different from myself or just with different stories that like, I just wanted to know. And I just wanted to ask. And I wanted to say, you know, even when I was five, I was like, where's your oven? Mm. How do you cook? Like, <laughs> mm. what, how do you do this? How do you do that? And it wasn't, it was a genuine question. And so how that's developed, I guess, is when I meet people different from myself or similar to myself. Like, I just want to ask as opposed to assume mm. things about someone. Mm. Um, and I think that, that, that I read an article about the art of asking questions that's like, the most important discoveries didn't come from the best answer. It came from the best questions, right? Yes. Like creating electricity. It wasn't because they were like a uh, light bulb. It was what is, I mean, I'm not a scientist, so I can't even find the question that he asked, but like <laughs> if I combine this and this, what would happen? Right. Mm -hmm. It's like the best discoveries happen from being genuine, genuinely curious and, uh, those kind of discoveries, I think, is what my life is all about. And I always want to be pushing and learning. And so I think the best question is one that that doesn't have an immediate answer, but causes you to think and yeah. reflect. My mom yeah. taught me all about reflection. And that's that's something that I that I value. And um, I just I think the more people can ask questions and get to know people, mm. the more peaceful and harmonious the world would be. And I think, too, especially in the U.S. with like all its polarization of, you know, for example, Democrats versus Republicans, like mm. 
they're not taking the time in some cases to ask the questions. They're just saying, oh, Republicans believe this. Oh, Democrats believe this. Instead of going up to someone and saying, why do you believe what you believe? Why do you think that that this is correct or this is wrong? And Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just that's my idealistic view of the world. But I think people just need to talk to one another and ask more questions to try to understand where they're coming from and not ask so that they can say, well, actually, blah, blah, blah. But like Mm. ask genuinely to say, oh, I didn't even think about that. Like that Mm. makes sense why you believe that. I don't agree with you, but like now I understand where you're coming from. Yes, yes. That's so brilliant. Yeah. Wow. If there's one thing you want a listener of this podcast episode to take home from this, like what would that want to be? Keep in mind, I am a 22-year-old girl who has seen a lot of the world, but still has a lot left to go. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess based on my experience, um, I just think like this, this, uh, this is a word that I didn't really realize in myself until recently. My name is Grace. Mm -hmm. And as a teacher, it's been extremely, extremely hard. And something that I've learned is to give myself grace. And that means to give myself flexibility, to give myself uh, peace, calm, to like, I don't know, just allow yourself to, to be how you are. So I would encourage people to give yourself grace and to not be so hard on yourself if you don't do things right and know you can do better, but also like acknowledge you're only a human and make mistakes. But yeah. I think being grateful for the good things in your life and also being kinder to yourself. Mm. So giving, giving grace to yourself, but also just being kinder to yourself is something that's hard, but something that is, is really great. Um, and difficult because you're like, again, I could be doing this productive thing, but I also need to sit and eat some ice cream, (laughs) but like, you know, just taking care of yourself, I think is the biggest lesson I could give, especially Mm. given the two past two years that we've all had um, and just taking a break, taking a breath and, and focusing on the things that we love and just being kind to yourself. What's the best way to, to get your book and what's the best way to connect and work with you? Yeah. So you can get the book on Amazon. It's called the rector girls. Um, you can also um, go to my website, which is grace Mariana rector and Mariana is spelled M A R I A N A. Um, Grace Mariana Rector.com. Um, and my email is Grace Rector at gmail.com. Awesome. I'll place all of this information in the show notes for this episode. So I encourage everyone who's listening to copy the link to, you know, um, click on the link and just get across to Grace. Buy the book for sure. <laughs> and also get across to her to work with her or to ask her more questions that we were not able to cover in this um, podcast episode. Thank you so much, Chris, for everything you taught me today. I learned, you know, so much. I learned about gratitude. I learned about asking and receiving. I learned about, you know, focusing on what matters and a lot more, a lot of lessons I learned from you today. Thank you. And I really admire, again, your, your strength, your courage, you know, for pulling through and also for impacting people's life through your own personal experience. This is something that is so awesome and so great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Telvi. It was great to meet you. Wow, you made it to the very end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'm grateful for your time, your love, and your contributions. Subscribe, like, review, and share this podcast. God bless you. Bye.